Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again this week. And uh, I trust you watched last week as we started to share some things that uh, uh, we could call it crises of faith, or we could talk about, you know, when people walk through uh, stuff in their lives. Uh, how do we handle it? I mean, we, we, we could tell you that you come to Jesus and you'll never have another problem, but that's not true. But one thing I am sure of is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes, like we shared last week, when Jacob was wrestling, uh, at I believe it was at Bethel or Bethel, that uh, he said, you know, in that wrestling moment, he said, surely the Lord was in this place. And I knew it not. And sometimes... Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, even the book of Hebrews talks about by faith they did this, but there's also some things that says through faith. Right. And sometimes there's a faith that takes you through, and so sometimes there's a faith that takes you out of it. Navigating that can be difficult. I have on the set with me again this week uh, my pastor, who is also my younger sister, Pastor Lisa Unger, it's good to have you on with me today, and she's going to be sharing some things with you, and we're going to be having a conversation about it. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and uh, watch it on our YouTube channel, because everything we air, you can watch on demand. You can share it on your Facebook page. You can share it. I encourage you to share this series with your pastor, or especially people in leadership, because I think you're going to be blessed and helped by some of the things that we share today and throughout this series, probably for at least two to four weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at this subject. So the easiest way to do that would be to go to my website, and the link is on the screen, lindhiles.com, in the upper right-hand corner, the only page of our website. There is an icon that will take you directly to our YouTube channel. I encourage you to subscribe to it, because if you subscribe to it, it's free of charge. We will let you know every time we upload a new show. There's also a good way to redeem time on your drive to work or whatever. Uh, you can listen to it through YouTube, but you can also listen to the audio portions on your podcast or on your Android device. And in that same spot in the website is a link directly to those things. So I, I encourage you to avail yourself to it and share it with your friends. Help us get the word out, and I believe you'll be blessed by it. Uh, so it's really wonderful to have you on again uh, today, Lisa. And uh, we were sharing about a crisis of faith. So I'm just going to start again. And, you know, a, a message that I shared back in uh, January the 1st at our local church where my sister is the senior pastor was about the sickness of Elisha. And it said, And Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash the king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on the bow. And Elisha put his hand on the bow of the king's hands. And he said, open uh, the east window. And he opened, the, the, uh, he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance of Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Apex till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he stuck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was only angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck 
Syria till thou had destroyed him, but now will you strike Syria only three times? And then Elisha died, and then they buried him. Uh, and, uh, the, and, and, and I'm sorry. And then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of that year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. This is going to give us just a little place to start with. This word, uh, Elisha was sick of the sickness whereof he died, had to do with a word that means maladies, or uh, it could could be uh, depression or uh, anxiety. He was literally probably wore out with ministry. The thing that uh, I, I, that I see a little bit in here is that w- what we miss something that's happening powerful is that Joash the king, who is an evil king, at least has enough sense to come and honor the man of God who has saved Israel over and over and over again. And he says something to him that if you're not a Bible reader, you are going to miss. But he says to him, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. He's reminding him of the words that he spoke the moment he received the mantle from Elijah. Yeah. Now, I know Pastor Lisa is going to share some stuff about Elijah going through a similar crisis. Sometimes maybe uh, when we uh, go through, in other words, our mentors go through things, we might see the same thing. But what I'm after here is that the king of Israel is reminding him of a day of victory. But instead of him grabbing hold of that, he starts right back into the same old routine of telling the king, here's some ministry. So he starts, he starts, ministering again rather than receiving some ministry himself. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes, uh, you know, we need to be reminded of what God said to us and remember and go back and remember what the promise of God is. Or like you shared in the last uh, thing about even the disciples on the boat, uh, when they got into crises, they forgot they had a basket of bread at their feet, couldn't even remember the last miracle they had. So I think, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in ministry that we can miss being ministered to. That is probably one of the biggest fallacies of ministry anywhere is that we've carried it so much that it's like, you know, time sometimes for you to just be ministered to. So jump in there. I know you probably can go any direction with that, but we go back and, and talk about these things. So You know, one of the things I like about, you know, when you were sharing it, I thought about that was when he comes back to him and says, my father, my father, and reminds him who he is, one of the things I think that we, we need to do and to need to remember is to give honor where honor is due. Yep. You know, um, this is a wicked king too. This is, you know, yeah. this is a king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To give honor where honor is due mm-hmm. because sometimes you think you might not be, you know, maybe you're feeling like you're, I, I'm, I'm not accomplished in anything or maybe yeah. my ministry don't matter, you know, or whatever. Or that message I just preached was a dud or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. Know. You yeah. walk out and you're, and, and I, most, most pastors probably can say, man, I get in the car and say, I blew that one. And before the day's out, somebody will text you and say, thank you, pastor. I really needed that. And you're like, oh man, <laughs> you know, I just thought it was, you know, but I think sometimes we, we do miss opportunities to give honor. And, um, I had a young man that, uh, you know, I'm friends with on social media and, 
and uh, uh, we were talking a little bit back and forth, and uh, he made the comment. He said, I just wanted to say to you, he said, some of my best years of my childhood, my fondest memories were years when we came to youth camp and when we, you know, where we're connected and, and the ministry that you all did there, you know, and things like that. And it's an encouragement to know that lives that, you know, when you spent those yeah. hours laboring and pouring into that all these years later, those things matter, you know. And so uh, I encourage people, if there's been somebody in your life who has been a father to you, reach out to them yeah. and say, you know, I honor you because your life impacted mine. You know, but we look about the greats like Elisha and, and Elijah, you know, and the great men of God. And the scripture tells us that Elijah was a man of like passion. Yeah. As we are, yet was, you know, was tempted and, and, and suffered and went through things like, yep. like we are, you know. And we sometimes think that, uh, you know. They glow in the dark or yeah, something. Yeah, they glow in the dark and walk on water. And, and they don't. They were, they were men and women of like passion like us. And so they were ordinary people who God used to do extraordinary things. And so, um, you know, when we see that, uh, one of the things you shared, I believe it was about Lisha, that he was one miracle short of... Um, double portion. of a double portion of Elijah, but when they threw the bones in of the man on him, that was that they complete. Had one miracle left. Yeah, like you <laughs> might think you got nothing left in you, and yet God still uses death to bring life, yeah. and and that's the beauty of God and beauty of the Scripture and how out of the ashes He can He can still bring something beautiful. You know, um, I think about Elijah, the great man Elijah. You know, and. Um, Man, he he could he had all kinds of miracles, and he could call down fire from heaven, and he takes on the prophets of Baal, and he just you know he's the man of the hour, and he goes through all of uh, you know uh, all of that, and it's not even hardly before the next day, you know that uh, he you know he tells his servant go look, God's going to send rain. It ain't hardly uh, through the weekend until Jezebel sends word that. You know, I'm going to feed you to the fowls of the air or whatever. And Elijah takes off and goes and hides in the cave. You know, we're like, well, this doesn't even seem like the man that was, uh, you know, he's on the mountain one moment. You know, he's calling down fire from heaven. And all of a sudden, one woman sends word that she's going <laughs> to kill him, scare him. <laughs> she's going to take him out. Like, I guess if you're going to be cra- uh, you know, afraid of something, be afraid of some crazy woman. But anyway, he, she, you know, she uh, says she's going to take him out. And we see Elijah go to a cave. You know, we're like, wait a minute, this is the, you know, the great man of God, the great prophet, you know, and, and God comes to Elijah and, and the beauty, I love the story of, because God comes to Elijah and he says, so what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, and he's like, well, you know, uh, I've thrown, they've thrown down your altars and they're, they're, you know, they raised up idols of Baal and, and I'm the only one left, you know, and he said that hasn't bowed the knee, you know, and he said, he asked him several times, he said, what are you doing? In other words, how did you get here? Yeah. How did you get to this place where you've walked away from the, you know, that mountain of victory, but, but because somebody had an opinion about you? Yeah. You know, I want to say this morning to, to pastors, it don't matter. You know, someone's always going to have an opinion about you. Yeah. You know, what validity you give to it is really up to you. But someone's always going to have an opinion about your ministry. They're always going to have an opinion about whether you did it right, whether you did it wrong. You cannot live looking backwards. You've got to keep going. And so just because somebody has a voice doesn't mean that voice has to have power in your life. And, and so because she speaks negative, negatively against him, and God simply comes to him, he said, how did you get here? You know, why are you what in this? What was the progression of this? Yeah, yeah. The, the, 
the quiet place, you know, of the mountain. And, and the scripture basically says, you know, God comes in the, you know, he comes in the thunder, or, you know, the, the, the earthquakes and he comes in the, you know, all that. And he said, but God wasn't in any of that, but he was in the still small voice. And, and I love that, that even in that place of uncertainty, if we're listening, there's a still small voice that will speak every time and say, how did you get here? <laughs> and then he begins, you know, he tells him, he said, I, you know, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And he said, there's 7,000 just like you, just for the record, yeah. you know, just for the record, there's 7,000 just like you. But, you know, you think, Lord, could you just let me find one of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where are they? Yeah. Where, are Where are they are when you need them? Yeah. yeah. And so he begins to speak to him. And I love it. He, and, and really, it doesn't say that God ever rebukes Elijah for being in that place. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't give him pity either. He doesn't yeah. let him stay there. Yeah. And so you may find yourself in a place, but it's not, it's not a permanent place. You know, and the, and the quicker you realize that, the quicker you get out of, of that place. But he begins to speak to him. And, and here's where I, sometimes I think that we as ministry fall short and why we get so overwhelmed or why we get in crisis is because what his remedy to what he tells Elijah to do is get up, take your anointing oil. I want you to go anoint a king. I want you to go anoint Elisha in your stead. And I want you to, I want you to start putting things in place. And sometimes I think we fail to equip those that are coming behind us and empowering them to take the load sometimes of what, and to continue. If we don't, uh, a success without successors, is not success. And so, you know, our, what helps sometimes is to have other people in place that can say the anointing is just as strong. They can minister. They can, and, you know, being able to put people in place to do the work that Elijah was doing by himself. Now, all of a sudden God begins to, you need to begin to input, impart, uh, and anoint those who can have the same kind of voice. And as you just shared, Elisha had a greater voice, a double portion mm-hmm. of what Elijah had. But Elijah, I'm the, I'm the only one. Yep. You know, there's no one like me. I'm the only one. And yet God already had a man in place that was going to take not only what where Elijah would stop, but to where Elisha would take it. Mm-hmm. You know, and Elijah and Elisha is really a picture of John and Jesus. Yeah you know, that we shared about before, you know, it, again, it was another passing of the baton, empowering the next generation, empowering that next ministry, you know, uh, the ministry of Jesus was a double portion, you know, of what John did. And yep. it was the introduction of the kingdom. And it was the, you know, even the miracles that Elisha does, a lot of those, you know, are... Um, even the location that Elijah passed, the mount to Elisha was in the Jordan River. And then John the Baptist and Jesus are in the mm, same river, same good. location, yeah. passing the baton. And you know, absolutely. you see that, you know, you even see that on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appear. It is Elijah handing it to Elisha. And even their names, Elijah, J A H on the end is Jehovah names. S H A on the end of Elisha means God is my salvation. So, uh, you know, uh, Jesus, of course, was God's salvation who was about to lead them into a greater thing. And even through his death, uh, his bones carried enough to raise a whole 
human family from the, the whole net, human you family. Know? So yeah. it, it, it is walking through those transitions, you know. So absolutely. You know, I felt like too while you were saying, you know, the importance of of honor. I, you know, I, I just personal story was, you know, back a few years ago when I just felt like I, you know, you, you people ha, ha, that don't like you have a hair trigger on their writing <laughs> finger. So they write to me quicker than the people who watch us and love us. Yeah. And they won't write sometimes, but the people who hate you, they, they'll write you quick. So I, I was thinking maybe I was a dinosaur and maybe am I being effective and you know how the enemy will fight with your mind. Come to the end. But yeah. I, it just kind of like, you know, I went to a meeting at Bishop Tony Miller's, who was a, a friend of mine, a great man of God who passed away. And I felt like I wasn't being effective. And when I walked through the door, it was like all of these guys that I that are well known were like uh, responding to me, and I found a whole group of people that I had effective, but they had never told me. Yeah. And so you know, it just kind of put some fresh wind in my sails to realize, wait a minute, I am being effective, but nobody, you know, sometimes we don't realize how important it is. Because, like you said, you you struggle with, you know, did I fail? Was it good enough? Was it? Uh, uh, you know, I felt like I flubbed that message or, or mm -hmm. whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, sometimes you need someone or you need people to at least every now and then lift your hands and say, you know, you yeah. did a good job, you know, or, or whatever. You know, so I, there was, you know, there's always been people in our churches like that. There's usually one or two people that always come to you, yeah. you know, and say, well, that was great. You know, yeah. and it just makes you feel better about And people don't realize how much empowering that is. So, you know, yeah. I think it's, you need to have that encouragement and honor, you know. Yeah, voices in my life of people that, you know, would would encourage me and, and some of those are not in my life anymore and uh, but those voices are still very prevalent oh, with yeah. me you know yeah. that that encouraged me to step out to do what God you know had called you to do and things like that you know uh, and so you know I love that picture too you know like we were saying about the Jordan you know it was a, it was a place of transition yeah and I think sometimes too you know in transition that can that gets to be a hard place yeah. sometimes what the next generation, you know, you had shared some things back before, uh, and then I had shared some of them too, you know, even in the difference between uh, Barzilia, yeah. you know, the, the great man of God who had served David and, and all of that kind of thing. And he just kind of become comfortable. David wanted to honor him and wanted to take him farther than he you know, where he, he wanted to take him across the river. And Barzilia was content to stay where he was, mm -hmm. but Caleb had another spirit. Mm -hmm. And Caleb said, no, that's my mountain. I'm 85. Yeah. I'm still as, as strong today. I'm still as strong today as I was, uh, you know, and so, you know, and sometimes in transition, you, you can either feel like, okay, well, I'm just done. I'm ready to sit down. And, uh, but then, or you can be like a Caleb and said, oh no, there's, there's still fight left in me. I, there's still, mountains to win. There's mm -hmm. still, you know, God, there's still promises of God yet to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. But, you know, even in the, the, uh, you said about the Jordan, John passing the baton to Jesus there and Elisha and Elijah there, you know, there's something very profound that happens in that transition. It's also the place where Joshua gets ready to take him across yep. and uh, Moses, my servant is dead. Yep. And a lot of times, and a lot of the people were still uh, grieving over Moses. And God said to Joshua, he said, you need to stand up and take the people over to the other side, you know, and that's where Joshua stands up and he said, today I'm going to make you valid in the eyes of the people. But what he does is he equips him with a mercy seat, 
and some some priest and a trumpet that's that's making a certain sound you know it's all a picture of the the new covenant that you know all that but when Joshua stops steps into that Jordan the waters roll back you know it says all the way to the city of Adam mm-hmm. but when Jesus steps into that same Jordan years later with John the waters don't roll back but the heavens roll back mm-hmm. and so uh, there is an introduction of, of a new the, the new covenant what God's about to do but immediately when Jesus uh, after he's anointed and the dove said you know dove descends and all that immediately he's driven into wilderness to be tempted as to who he was and our identity and sometimes like you said you don't think you're effective or you you, you start to question things and, and the enemy comes to him and you know he says he's tempted of the devil if you be mm-hmm. but if you really understand your identity in christ it it's, doesn't really matter what anybody else has to say mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus, you know, God had just opened heaven and said, this is my beloved son. Mm-hmm. So he'd already been validated before he goes in there. Uh, but, you know, uh, understanding your assignment sometimes uh, and, and staying in your assignment. Uh, I heard uh, a pastor I was listening to earlier, and he said, uh, you know, a, a great friend of ours, Kelly Varner, said one time, he said, quit trying to build a mega church in a small town. That's not what God called you to do, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And so we compare ourselves in ministry yeah. sometimes. Comparison can be such a killer for momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, we compare ourselves a lot of time in ministry. He said, God didn't call you to build a mega church. You know, he stay in your assignment. Yep. And I think sometimes why we get in crisis, we get in, you know, frustration or whatever is because we're trying to build a mega church in a small town, you know, or whatever. We're trying to fit somebody else's mold. You know, Elisha was never to be Elijah. Yeah. Jesus was never to be John, yeah. but they were both effective in what they were called to do. You know, so if you get overwhelmed with trying to be somebody else, you know, it will wear you out. Yeah. You know, until you realize that, you know, uh, that's not what God called me to do. You know, our ministry at Word of Deliverance, I feel like, has always been to empower ministry and to train the next generation. And those are the two things our heart has been called to. You know, there may be other churches in our community, but they've got a heart in another area. That's the beauty of the gospel. But if you try to be in competition, you know, with, well, they're doing that, we need to do that too. Or, we're, you know, and that's things sometimes we can get ourselves overwhelmed with that. But... You know, God tells him, he said, get up, get your anointing. You know, he says the same thing to Samuel, which is interesting. You know, I read that the other day in another translation. He said, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? How long are you going to mope and be in despair and depression? He said, another great prophet, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn and mope? Get up, fill your horn with oil and go. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a transition. God, Saul's had come to an end. And the baton is about to be passed to David, and God's about to do a new thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know, transition can be a good thing. I think what happens, too, is it gives you back purpose. I was watching a series the other day about uh, uh, blue spots, I think was what it was called, something like that. It's how people in certain areas live to be over 100 years old. And they were, they were healthy at that. But one of the things was they had purpose. Mm. They had a renewed sense of purpose. They had community. Mm-hmm. They they were people of faith as well. They, they you know I mean they, they had some things about diet and stuff like that, but they were actually involved in life. Yeah. And instead of sitting down like Marzella and saying it's enough for me, you know, take my you know uh, yeah. I'm, I'm content to go die with my father. This is what Barzilla said, rather than go to the palace. 
And I think that the, the, the thing is, is to keep your focus on, like you said, my assignment, my purpose, and that's enough. Yeah. You know, if you stay in your assignment, it's ultimately going to bring you the success that you're supposed to have. And we measure success, like you said, by nickels and noses sometimes, and it's really not not how it really works. You know, when I was in Brazil and it was probably, you know, 5,000 people in the meeting and uh, one of the pastors asked me how big our church was. And I said, well, uh, uh, I said, uh, I live in a community of 600 people. He said, you mean 6,000? I said, no, 600. I said, and 100 of them go to our church. He said, well, then you all have a, you have a mega church in a small town, you know. Or, uh, so, I mean, I think when you come into the t- town, the sign says oh, population 600 and something. I forget. Something it like depends it, on yeah. how many has been born. There might be more now. But anyway, we live in a really very small community. But it's like, like you said, when you, you know, one of the things that, uh, too, was very powerful to me back some time ago is when I realized holy doesn't mean you glow in the dark. It means you are uniquely anointed in your assignment. When they had yeah. snuff dishes and and uh, you know candlesticks and um, tongs in the tabernacle of Moses, they were holy. Right. So how can a snuff dish be holy? It's because <laughs> it was consecrated for a certain purpose. What yes. makes you unholy is when you're trying to be somebody that Absolutely. you're not. And the no, most the most freeing thing you can ever do is be comfortable in your own skin. As I am what I am by the grace of God and. You know, I'm enough, whatever that is. Yeah. You know, I was thinking when you were saying some of that about uh, one of the times when I was walking through an identity crisis a little and I preached for Eddie Long and it was like mega church again. And I was, when I, you know, used to think, well, if I could preach for this guy, I'd feel like I'd been affirmed. Or if I, and then I'd preach for that guy and that wasn't enough. And I think people go through those things where they're trying to define by what they think success is. And so I preached for several, you know, now I'm getting ready to preach on this platform with all these pastors there. And the Lord said to me, son, if you're looking for the approval of men, it doesn't get any bigger than this. But if you're satisfied with my approval, then you'll never worry about what somebody else thinks, you know, so you'll be what you are. And it's really at that moment that you start to become... I think probably the world's most dangerous man because you are a woman, because you're now, you're, you're worried more about what God thinks about the situation than what people think about you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, the influence begins to come because you're stepping into your ministry. Yeah. You're anointed and there's nobody else can do it like you can do it. It's like you said, our min- your ministry here is different. Uh, my brother Jack, who pastors a church, my son works with him as associate pastor there as well. Their their demographic is they reach out to people who've been addicted to opioids and addiction and their families. Yeah. That's their assignment, and they Absolutely. thrive in that. His yes, eyes light up when he talks about it, yes, and do. that's just the thing that's kind of, uh, uh, you know, your passion. Mm-hmm. And if you get passionate about it, you know, then you get excited when you start seeing things happen. So you can only be you know, what God's called you to be. And when you fit in that mold, that's where your success comes. Yeah. I think it's unholy to try to be something you're not. There you go. Yeah. Because you just don't have identity in that. But when the Father gives you identity yeah, and you start to walk in your anointing, you start to follow in that. And it takes a little while to find that niche. You just it have does. to follow your heart and what you believe God's saying to you. And so, you know, like it's just like Elijah, he said, get up. Take your horn, anoint somebody to be prophet in your... In other words, here's some assignments yeah. for you. You yeah. do your assignment yeah, and let God take care of I always rest. thought that chariot showed up like, yeah. you know, right away. He still had like another seven years. Yep. So. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we're out of time, though, for this segment. We'll come back again in just a moment. But if you'd like to sow seed into the ministry to help us to take the gospel around the world, you can do that by going to our website. There's a link there where you can give via credit card or PayPal. You can sign up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. We do need your help. You can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the telephone number that's on the screen, and someone will take your call. But do it today. We need your help. God bless you. Join us next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.